CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We wanted to offer our listeners a content warning. This episode contains talk of eating disorders, weight loss, and body dysmorphia. It also contains some homophobic language. If this is something that might be activating for you, please feel free to skip to our next episodes. When people design flash or when people design things for up for grabs, they always put it on a certain type of body. There was never a design. Call it what it is, a thin body. Right, a thin body. Absolutely. There was never a design that complemented fat bodies or rolls or went with it like just nothing there's literally nothing out there so i just sat myself down it was like you're gonna do it you're gonna be the first person to do it and i did What's up, y'all? Welcome to The Teardown, a podcast hosted by me, Vegas Inc., your favorite polarizing tattooer. Every episode, I sit down and chat with amazing guest artists, and we dive in more intimately on the politics of the tattoo industry, as well as some topics I feel are more relevant in contemporary tattooing. So now that we're all set up, let's get started. Are you ready? Our guest today is Carrie. An artist most notably recognized for their hashtag roll flower designs. I don't know if people still use hashtag in a sentence, but I will do that right now. They are a non-binary tattoo artist working out of Lucky Monkey Tattoo in Ann Arbor. One of their very interesting and current hobbies are making automata and dioramas. They live in a 150-year-old house with their 100 plant babies. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? How are you feeling today? I'm doing really well. Today's my day off and I got to do more making automata and diorama-ing all day. So it's been a good day. I have no complaints. <laughs> what, what are, I tried to Google it. I saw wood wood things. Yeah. So that's kind of what mine is made out of wood. And it like started with watchmakers and they made little toys that if you cranked the handle, the things would move and I just find it so whimsical and magical oh. that I wanted to start making my own. Turns out it's hard, though, so it's been a struggle. What is, like, the process of doing something like that? Firstly, I just had to learn the mechanics, which has been the hard part because I just want to make cute shit. So the mechanics has been what's really hard. Like, I don't even know the words, so I've had to Google, like, what are these moving parts? Now I know it's a piston and a cam and all of these things, but it's it's been a struggle since not a ton of people make these things anymore. So you and two other people in the world, I'm assuming? You're just about, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a very hyper fixation thing, like just like a oh, very yeah. random 
Absolutely. And then like diorama, mm-hmm. just like regular. Like miniature yeah. scenes. Yeah. That's interesting. Also, you said you live in a 150-year-old house. Mm-hmm. Hauntings? Ghosts? Spirits? I don't think so, but I had a friend come over a few years ago and say, what's the haunt level in your house? And then as soon as he said that, the light above him burnt out and it went dark. And I was like, I swear this never happens. Like, it's you. I promise. But no. other than that. <laughs> they, they brought a duppy to your house. <laughs> I think so. Because I don't know. Maybe the ghosts like me. Because it seems to be fine whenever they're not here. <laughs> Do you like own this house on your own? Like you live there alone? We just bought. No, I have a partner. We just bought oh, okay. it two years ago. The town is terrible. I think I wrote that when you asked me, like, where do you live? Yeah, I was going to ask you. But it's cheap. Like, Ann Arbor, where I work, is a very pricey college town. So I can't afford to live there. So I live, like, an hour away in a hillbilly town, you could say. But my house is cheap, and it's beautiful. So it's worth the drive. Is this in the U.S.? Yeah, yep, in Michigan, in the U.S. So very close to us in Toronto. Correct, yeah. We're probably just a couple hours from each other. I feel like I've heard Ann Arbor before, like in a movie or something. Yeah, the university's very well known. Like the football team's very famous. We produce a lot of famous athletes. It's the Princeton of the Midwest. I hate that phrase, but... It's a, yeah, it's a very fancy school. So what's the small town you live in? Like, what is that like living? It's called Adrian's. It's weird though. It's the county seat. It's the biggest town in the county. Not that that means much because it's still really small, but it's just very right and very conservative. And I've had my rainbow flag stolen multiple times and I've been called the F word while gardening and people shout things at me while I'm outside picking tomatoes. So really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was so shocked the first time, like summer one, when I'm picking my cute little tomatoes and some guy slows down in his big lifted truck and shouts faggot at me. And I was like, okay, thanks. And then it just gets worse. Like another man in a truck, of course, a few months later is like, I hate gay people. Like, thanks for sharing. You're just minding your gay ass business. <laughs> yeah. Like, so you are in like, yes. a queer relationship. Mm-hmm. And so like that sort of attack happens because you are just like gaying up your house. I guess so. I must be the rainbow flag. I am kind of growing up my hair out, but I had at that time like a buzz cut. So maybe I looked extra queer. I don't know. <laughs> the rainbow flag and the buzz cut were too much for people. The buzz cut, it's the tattoos. I'm sure you were wearing right. something colorful. <laughs> they were like, oh, yeah. you got too much personality around these parts. Right. It's real offensive, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some little personal questions for Ooh, you. Sure. So you're from a small town. Did you like grow up in Adrian? No, but I did also grow up in a really small town just on the other side of the state. <laughs> I'm used to this, like, you know, the hillbilly yeah. culture. I can sl- yeah. slide in and out. Not anymore. I look really gay now. But I used to be able to. Oh, so I guess I'm asking because, like, how did you get into tattooing specifically? And how did you find, like, that experience? I got into tattooing really honestly just because my childhood best friend's, like, you should tattoo. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, never crossed my mind. I always wanted tattoos. I always had tattoos. I liked to tattoo people, but for some reason that just never clicked that I could do it too until my friend was like, Hey, 
get on that. How old were you? I was officially started tattooing at 27. So a little 27? Yeah. How old are you? I am now 37. (laughs) Oh, wow. So 27's like a relatively older age to get into tattooing. Yeah. Did you do a formal apprenticeship or did you teach yourself? I got into it because of my partner. So I met him at a party and he was like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to be a tattooer, but I've taken my portfolio to a million shops. I was living in Tampa at the time and no one would take me in. And he's like, I'll teach you. So we kind of dated and I got an apprenticeship, like all in this wild Wait, 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 hold on. Your partner's a tattoo artist? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I live. I live. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Wait. <laughs> so your partner was your mentor. Yes. Like we dated and started the apprenticeship the same week. Like it was just everything all in one. It was a wild year. Everything changed since I met him. It's been a wild ride. Yeah. So you did a formal apprenticeship with your partner. Mm-hmm. You didn't find that dynamic to be complicated because I recently did an episode with like, I'm dating somebody as well. And they are a tattoo artist, but they're very green just coming into their career. And like, I'm not their mentor or anything. And they live in Chicago. And we were talking about the dynamics of it being complicated as somebody who is more, I've been tattooing 11 years. So like similar to you and somebody that is like in their first year and how it would get like kind of complicated. Cause I would like get into this role. And I like had a hard time getting out of like, oh, let me teach you the ways. And then also like being a supportive partner because they would like show me a tattoo and I'm like, "Mm, it's not good. But they're like, can you just be soft with me? And I'm like, you know, so like, how was that dynamic with having a partner being your mentor too? Like, how did you create boundaries around that? I can't lie. It was, there was some rough patches. Absolutely. Especially once I got out of the all right, I'm no longer a first year and I kind of feel like I can stand on my own two feet. But then he would still be like, this is how you put on a stencil. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I've been tattooing two or three years now. I know how to put on a stencil. I know how to like, put on a stencil. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> so, I mean, it was tough. It was really rough. I'm not going to lie, but we made it through, thankfully. How did I set up boundaries, though? I don't know. I yeah, like from like home. <laughs> We're odd, though. Like when we lived in New York City, we had just like, I don't know, 50 square feet. We worked inside of it. We lived inside of it. We never left. And we did really well. We work at the same shop right now. We've worked at the same shop. It's wild. We just are really good at being near each other all the time. He's just so laid back, though, like impossibly laid back, confusingly laid back. So I think that's what makes it work. I'm definitely the more high strung one. And how would you describe your art style? Fine line, really delicate illustration work. I do a lot of dot work as well, like hand dot style, like if I was a hand poker, but with a machine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Like I literally like tap it and pop, pop, pop. Not like the Mm -hmm. whippy, the whippy dots. Not stippling. Yeah. Dot work. Yeah. So when you started, what does your partner do as art style? He started as a traditional artist, but now... I would not call it traditional at all. Still really illustrative, but very bright, very bold, fun, colorful. We're very opposite in our tattoo styles, which is good because then if someone wants, you know, color, I can still have the money and not do it. So I'm into that. (laughs) It's still feeding the pockets. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
And so when you started, did you always start with like wanting to do fine line? I wanted to, cause that's like what my portfolio that I took around to shops had, but I was told by all of these tattooers, like those aren't tattoos. No one will ever get that. Tattoos look like American traditional. So I started off American traditional, but then when we moved to New York, like that fine line stuff was really hot, like just kind of bursting onto the scene in New York. And then when we moved back to the Midwest, no one was doing fine line. So I was like, all right, now's my time to get back on that because there's a hole here that I can fill essentially. So you are from the Midwest. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can hear it. I can hear it. I was like, wait a second. You know in the, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've lived in Florida and New York, but (laughs) I'm Midwest (laughs) for sure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So the episode topic today that we're discussing is fatness and tattooing. Mm -hmm. Like, are you a fat person yourself? Absolutely. I am a fat person. I've been fat my whole life, I'd say. (laughs) I don't know if everyone would agree with that, but I think I've felt fat, I guess. But yeah, I'm fat. I'm a size 26. Definitely in the category. I'm also a fat person. (laughs) That feels so weird, like we're admitting something. (laughs) I feel like we're in like FA, like fat people. Yeah. Hello, (laughs) I'm fat fat anonymous. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Well, you know, it's such a bizarre thing, but any shop that I've ever entered, and nobody thinks about this unless you are of a marginalized body in any capacity in tattooing, but something other than like blackness that I immediately notice when I enter a room is body. And I have been in every shop I've ever entered. I have been the fattest person or the Mm -hmm. fat person. Sure. It has always been skinny artist or thin artist. Absolutely. Same. It's just like not a thing that I feel like is talked about often in the industry. Like only now though. And like you've been tattooing 10 years. So I feel like you, as well as myself, have seen like the gradual shifts in what the industry is now becoming or like this other industry that we have created like as like more marginalized folks Mm -hmm. where like just like the tail end of like you know the dying of like American traditional almost and where like you and your art style where now is like largely popular like oh yeah entering a shop then like you said there was no opportunities but like yeah like still as we're expanding our understanding as we are politicizing our practices more fatness is like one of those things we don't really talk fatness and disabilities we don't talk about enough in tattooing yes is that your experience as well like do you feel the same way absolutely like I see 
a lot of people speaking out about other topics like you're saying, but not many people talking about fatness. I totally agree. It's still one of those things that we can't even get people to agree that it's like a systemic problem. You know, how are we going to even start talking about it if we can't even agree that it's a problem in the first place? Right. So let's start a little late. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so I mentioned earlier that you're made popularized by your and, you know, I don't want to make assumptions, but I think we started following each other a little while back. And then I started to see... I mean, your artwork, obviously, and then starting to see you getting like articles and certain things posted about specifically these like roll flowers. Tell me about that. Like, what was your inspiration to do so? Like, what was the genesis of that? It was kind of a perfect storm of a lot of things. Like I had a month of people just I know I'm tattooing them and they're in my chair and they're like, man, someday when I lose weight, I'll get more stuff on my inner body. But for now, we'll stick with arms. And sure, I've heard that a million times. I'm sure I might have even said that in the past. But it was like a snowball. I kept hearing it every day. And then it was more and more and more. And I'm like, this is wild. Like, why can't I know how much tattooing my body makes me feel good? So I wanted other people to see, like, if you tattoo yourself, you might not have those feelings anymore. And then I started also looking at when people design flash or when people design things for up for grabs, they always put it on a certain type of body. There was never a design. Call it what it is, a thin body. Right, a thin body, absolutely. There was never a design that complemented fat bodies or rolls or went with it. Like, just nothing. There's literally nothing out there. So... I just sat myself down. It was like, you're going to do it. You're going to be the first person to do it. And I did. Yeah. Even, you know, the politics of fatness largely affects everybody. And it's like when you mentioned when clients say, when I lose weight, when I do this, when I do that, I will adorn my body or they don't Mm -hmm. use that language, but I will get this tattoo. (laughs) I have heard men say it, like cis men say, oh, I want to get my bicep done or whatever part of my body done, but I have to wait till I like beef up. It's like, there's a certain inherently, and I don't think that folks realize it. And that is just how ingrained fat phobia is in our like, and desirability is ingrained in our like everyday psyche where it's like, why does your body have to look a particular way in order for you to celebrate it, in order for you to adorn it? So often people are like, oh, well, I wanted to get sternum tattoos on bellies where folks are like, oh, I didn't know if it would like look good or I'm just going to lose a little bit of weight. And I'm like, I'm going to let everybody in on a little secret. I love tattooing all bodies, but I prefer to tattoo sternum pieces and particularly difficult pieces on fatter bodies. Mm-hmm. It's just easier for me. I agree. I really wanted to talk to you particularly because you are a tattooer and a fat person. And <laughs> I had a lot of interviews, you know, it kind of blew up a little bit. And I could really tell that the people asking the questions were thin people and not tattooers. Because there was a lot of like, oh, are they really sad when they come in? And then you tattoo their roles and then they're crying and they're all of a sudden love themselves. And I'm like, that's not really 
you know, no, <laughs> not Do they at think all. that fat people just walk around hating themselves all day, every day and wishing they were skinny think, all day, every day? Honestly, yes. I think that like my first interview, I had to redirect every single question because it was just like, how sad were they when they came in like this poor fatty? And I was like, actually, we had a great time and we didn't cry and no one like there was no kumbaya moment. It was just like it was so wild. So yeah, they entered the space lo- <laughs> with their body and they got tattooed. That's what happened. Yeah. Like the people who get roll flowers have already done, started working on breaking down those internalized fat phobia. It's not like a one-on-one thing. Like if you want a roll flower, you've already, you love that and you want to adorn it and you're not crying because you're fat. But who, I don't know. Do people do that? Maybe. I mean, I'm certainly right. Like, but the fact is, is like, even like, you know, you see it on like social media, the devil, where (laughs) you see like a fat person, particularly we speak about like fat feminized folks who are just posting a fucking picture and Mm -hmm. like they're posting this picture because the makeup looks great. And people are like, oh my God, you're so brave. Uh, oh my god you're so confident uh, and it's like why why am i brave why am i confident i used to have a friend (laughs) who told me i inspired them because i wear crop tops every day and i'm like oh yeah cool (laughs) like you wouldn't tell that to our thin friend would you i'm not inspiring for putting a shirt on it's pretty basic I love crop tops. Nobody can tear me away from wearing a crop top right see, now. I was like, can you see my tops? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like this. It's a bonding moment. Yeah, yeah right. Just showing the tops. Yeah, I mean, it's just so normalized to think these ways about like fat people, fat bodies. And then like, you know, if you add like a racial intersection to that for so long, like people like Lizzo where folks are trying to like attach just like there's like a a trope a black trope called the mammy trope which is like often applied to like fat black women as like caregivers or whatever and they were trying to apply that to Lizzo and I'm like Lizzo Lizzo's (laughs) kind of like a whole ass whore on TikTok like I I love she just wants to shake her ass like she's just shaking her ass being talented and making good good food like you know but it's just so (laughs) easy to dehumanize folks when you don't see their bodies as human. Absolutely. And you other. Let's get back to the roll flowers. When did you like start doing them? Has it been like a few years now? Like, and you said it wasn't super intentional. It just happened. Designing roll flowers was incredibly intentional. I just didn't think, I thought people would be like, you've lost it. Because I just heard the questions like, what happens if I lose weight? just all the negative things. So I was like, this is, I want to do this for me and I'm going to put it out there, but I did not expect people to love it and for it to, you know, get as big as it did. That's the shocking part. But I really intentionally tried to, you know, come up with something for fat folks, particularly. So do you have a lot of clientele from the area or do you get a lot of folks flying in now? For roll flowers, particularly, I had a lot of people flying in for my re- just everyday illustrations, I'd say mostly from at least the state. But for roll flowers, yeah, a lot of people coming in from a lot of places. So I see like there's like growing popularity in like abstract art on the body where like some artists are not being as rigid about placements and are just kind of treating the body as like a full canvas. Yeah. And like the roll flowers, I feel like are part of that. 
so there's a two-parter about what I'm going to say. There is something to be said about if the body changes, then Mm -hmm. the tattoo shifts. But I guess the second part to this is the intention of people that are getting those tattoos are being like, I'm not trying to change my body. So exactly. Yeah. So I do definitely see like people doing like certain things. And I was trying to look up other artists that I've seen do something similar. The only one that comes to mind is like Lindsay April in Toronto. She does body adornments with like florals just in general. And she does showcase a lot more fat bodies than the typical because when I was looking again, those very beautiful illustrative things, floral things, Again, like very stick thin bodies, very like the composition is to accentuate like particular kinds of. (laughs) Yes. We've all done the like up the hip and accentuating (laughs) the butt. Like, yeah, it's the same (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Was it an intentional decision to center fat bodies in your tattooing practice? Absolutely. Like the thing I liked about roll flowers is only fat people can get it. You cannot fake roles and weirdly i think this has a lot to do with body dysmorphia but i have had a lot of people be like hey i want to roll flower and send me pictures and i'm like i physically can't you just aren't fat sorry but yeah oh yeah like it, it was very purposeful and intentional that this is for fat people and no one else can have it because we do that so much for thin people like these clothes thin people can have this look only you can be attractive only you can have this and i was like nope Only fat people can have this. And I think that's what makes it special, maybe? Uh, Not maybe. Yeah, that is what makes it special. There's not not things for fat bodies that are just, like, gatekept, right? Like, even now, clothing, where people are being like, can you stop skinny people buying oversized clothing from (laughs) thrift shops? Because now we can't buy them. Yeah. (laughs) So gatekeep it. What, like, has been, like, sort of your personal experience with, like, fatness, specifically as it pertains to the tattoo industry, if there has been one? Again, like, anything that's systemic, it's not always the, like, people overtly, you know, shouting things at you while you're picking tomatoes. (laughs) It's the little thing, you know, it's the little things that start to add up that make you think, okay, I'm being excluded. And it might not be overt, but once you start seeing things add up, it starts to hurt, you know, like I followed a lot of really big names who would never share fat bodies or even melanated bodies or whatever. And it was just always the same thing. And you start to realize like you're on welcome, you know, even without people saying it, you know, that you're not supposed to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, we look at the tattoo magazines, which I don't I don't like them, but <laughs> we look at tattoo magazines. Fuck it. Let's just say like I'm going to just say it like the most popular women tattooers, like some of the most are all thin. All fit within the margins of desirability whether Absolutely. it's whiteness, whether it's thinness, right? And growing up like Oh God, like growing up fat (laughs) with weight fluctuation and all of that. I'm like, right. And with the tattoos, everything that we absorbed was always on thin white bodies. And it was always like, well, I'm not, I'm just like, never going to be that. I'm never going to look like that. Even in in a, in a world where we are intentionally othering ourselves by getting tattooed, we're still not like able to enter those spaces in the same way. Like 
that's weird. How messed up is that? <laughs> so like the representation is just like not out there. And like for my personal fat experience in black communities, like particularly Caribbean communities, uh, I'm Jamaican. So the way that like our bodies, like as like femme presenting people are always being policed. Like you, if you're too skinny, if you're skinny, you're too skinny. If you're fat, you're too fat. And it's just like, there needs to hit that like perfect medium that doesn't actually exist because honestly it's everything's under a microscope anyways. But I was, you know, as I started to come into more understanding of like the politics of fatness and like, like fat liberation and started identifying myself as actually fat, people would always be like, Oh, but you're not like, you're not like fat. Like (laughs) you're like curvy. You're like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you're not Girl. fat. You're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And then also fat. Like, <laughs> Right. Um, uh, can't I be both? Why not? Yeah. And it's like, you know, people don't think about things like, you know, as I, again, as I like even started traveling more, I had like the first time I'd ever been on a plane, I was like 24, 23. And I had just come out of like a way I, I had lost a bunch of weight where I was overwhelmingly underweight. I was like 135 pounds and then started (laughs) gaining weight. So was in this like whatever area. I also have body dysmorphia. So I actually not like skinny people being like, I'm just fat. It's like, I actually just don't know uh, what my body looks like and, or I'm disconnected from my body all the time. I'll look in a mirror and I'll be like, Oh, there's a body. Forgot about that. Like, so I really, I, who knows who's to say. So I had got on a plane. It was fine, whatever. And then as I started to gain more weight, I was asking my friends and I had to go on a trip and I was like, do you think I'll fit on the seats? Like, how am I going to put the seatbelt on? And they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, because you've never had to think about that. Or if you oh, go to yeah. a bar, right? Going to a bar, what kind of seating do they have at Will the bar? there be arms on the chairs? Oh yeah, absolutely. Traveling is a huge fear for me now. I've gained a lot of weight over quarantine, shutdown, Rona. And now I'm like, can I fit in a plane? Can my hips fit in this chair? Can I? Yeah, it's things that most people don't think about. Those are like part of like those systemic things, right? Going to a doctor and literally being like, my shoulder's yeah. hurting. And they're like, well, you could lose 100 pounds. And it's like, what the? Wait, yeah. <laughs> would you tell that to a thin person? <laughs> like, what? no, you tell me what you would tell a thin person and then I'll decide what I should do. Right. And these are the, like, the, again, like the systemic issues of yeah. being fat as, you know, not small, but like as small as like, can I eat in front of somebody and not feel uncomfortable or being policed to, am I going to receive proper care? And like fat people die every day in the medical field because it's just not applied to the care, like the doctors care for their bodies. Yeah, plan B doesn't work for anyone over 150 pounds and you need a longer needle for your corona shot if you have better arms. Like all these little things that no one's thinking about, but we're like, ah, every day it's like an assault and you have to survive every day. So for me, I do feel like now white supremacy whiteness has created a standard another standard of beauty so we have like the typical standard of beauty and then we have queerness where it is like supposed to be an inherently othered and marginalized identity where i feel like now white thin people have created a standard within queerness and even with being non-binary oh i feel like i'm constantly proving my non-binaryness 
but it's so hard because of I have huge boobs and big hips and I have like a smaller weight. Like I have curves that are just, you're a woman automatically. You're a woman. And it it seems like I can't escape it. It's just daily. Like I'm like, what do I do to be more non-binary? And then I have to tell myself, <laughs> you are like, you're already there. You, you won, you did it. But it's hard with all the outside everyday People like I've had people be like, "You wear skirts every day. That's what fits my body." It's like I can't wear men's clothes; they don't fit me. So people see me and they automatically are like, "Woman." So it's tough for sure being fat and non-binary. Do you find that it's difficult, like outside of like even cis people? I expect nothing. <laughs> I expect nothing. I, I want need to work for on more. that. <laughs> yeah, no, I want for more. But <laughs> but with queer people and you know trans folks, it becomes frustrating because I'm like, you don't see this. You don't see that you are now creating another standard of beauty within the community and like excluding so many other people. It's wild. Like queer people, it was like mourning a loss when I realized that queer people can be as hurtful as cis people, as het people. Like, you know, I guess everyone, we're all just people when it comes down to it. So we can all just be as terrible as everyone else. But yeah, it it is (laughs) more painful, right? (laughs) Everyone's trash. Yeah. But it does hurt more when it's your own community for sure. Like that sucks. I always find like it's a little bit different. Again, adding like a racial component where like I grew up more in like black queer scene. We didn't call it queer, but some of the black folks in community have particular kinds of bodies and like that. We were just used to that. And we have certain categories for like lesbians, like it's like stud, stem, femme. You're familiar. Like a stud is like a more. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stem is the only one I've not heard before. It's a mix of it's, (laughs) <laughs> probably low-key non-binary but like we didn't yeah, have the like, language for it STEM, I don't know. <laughs> it's like uh, it was like this black term for like i guess gender neutral mm, always paving the way <laughs> but you know <laughs> yeah so like you know black feminized folks have particular kinds of curves and Like we just accept folks for like how they whatever. And it really wasn't until I like explored outside of that community was I like, oh, no, like my body's being perceived in a completely different way. And even still now. And I wanted to talk a little bit about intentional weight loss Mm because it kind of pertains to even your tattoo designs. Yeah. Friend and I were talking and we were having a bit of like we had a bit of a conflict where I don't I don't feel like they are fat, but they do feel like they're fat or they have existed as a fat person most of their life. Mm-hmm. And then like went through some medical issues that like cause like body changing or whatever. And I had started losing weight and whatever. And I like was looking for some like affirmation and validation from my friends to just acknowledge like the effort that I had put in. Inherently fat phobic, like mm-hmm. inherently fat phobic. Anyways, without going into that large issue, mostly I wanted to talk about the fact that something that we came to while having this discourse was like, there is like no good language developed or that we have access to that like adequately or ethically talks about fatness with intentional weight loss. It's rooted in fat phobia. Like Mm -hmm. wanting to not be fat is fat phobic. Yeah, absolutely. However, 
wanting to use your body and movement, whether that is working out, whether it's working in your garden, like whether it's dance or pole dancing or whatever the case is, like, which can have some effects of like weight loss or whatever, but like strength building or resilience building or just like getting up and doing something. Mm -hmm. Like where is the language to describe sort of that reconnecting of the body rather than just like the intention of being just weight loss. My situation is intentional weight loss, but like for folks that just engage in physical activity. Yeah. So it's really hard to find clothes now. Like I've, I've stayed around 18, 20 for a long time time and that was kind of a sweet spot like I could find a lot of clothes and I could look how the way I wanted to look and now over the past two years like it's gotten pretty damn hard as a size 26 to find things especially things that like I feel good in or I want to look that way that's and not, affordable like, that too yeah a weird bag and I don't want to buy things from I mean I have but I don't want to buy fast fashion from China and I don't I want to be as ethical as possible but it's difficult when you're fat and your options are really limited. So I have wanted to lose weight before to fit in my own clothes again. And I've wanted to lose weight before to get on a plane and not feel scared. But then I, you know, I have to check myself and be like, well, these are systemic problems, not me problems. And I've wanted to lose weight a lot of times, a lot of my life. That's the one thing I've been doing the past few years is like just not thinking about that at all, not focusing on that at all. If I want to move my body, fine. If I want to eat less sugar, fine. But none of that is for losing weight. And that's really helped my my mental well-being a lot. Like that depression has subsided a lot because I it's no longer the central focus of losing weight. It's just now I want to be healthier. Now I want to make good decisions. I mean, look at Jim Bros. Jim Bros. I love the discourse. My TikTok is like so curated for me right now. I'm so happy. <laughs> it is like Jim Bros have eating disorders and let's fucking talk about it because yes. y'all are not actually healthy. Right. When people say like, go on keto and, and don't eat for 20 hours. And I was like, measure I, your food. Yeah. I was like, I, when I was anorexic, that's what I was doing. And how is keto not making, you know, like what? <laughs> My partner is very thin. That bitch is not <laughs> healthy. <laughs> right? It's not, it's not healthy. They can't, I can run up and down these stairs, pass them a million times and they <laughs> cannot, cannot catch a breath. And I'm like, see, these things are not like health and thinness are not synonymous with each other. No, not at all. Not at all. I know some very unhealthy thin people. And I know some like amazing fat athletes. Like it just can't be one size fits all. <laughs> Pun intended. Like what is the current representation in your opinion on fat bodies in the industry? Incredibly low. Like I do see oh what's their name? Rough enough? Do you know who that is? Rough the enough. Yeah. yeah. They are representing fat bodies all the time. That's super dope. But I guess potentially a thin person could wear it. So, but there's not a lot of people doing things that are only for fat people. But it is nice to see like fat pinups and fat bodies being represented in tattooing for sure. We didn't even touch on like how bodies are drawn in the industry, like mm -hmm. <laughs> just like pinups in general. Like, are oh, never yeah. Uh, always thin. I love seeing a flash piece that's like more diverse than just yes. like. I even got a weird 
little sidebar, a weird ad on my Instagram from a tattooer who's doing like a 3D model for the iPad for Procreate. I saw that. Okay, yeah. And so they messaged, someone was like, hey, do you have other skin tones? And they were like, yep, we have like a download for skin tones. And I was like, hey, do you have any bodies that aren't thin? No reply, never replied. Still not really thought about so much, apparently. I'm surprised they even had skin tones in there. (laughs) Probably like just... Me too, because, you know, fatness, anti-blackness, they're one. Yeah, there's a lot of intersections. I should actually recommend you a a book by someone named Deshaun. They're a Black, fat, non-binary person. And the book is called Belly of the Beast. Ooh, okay. But they had this really profound conversation about the intersections of race and fatness. And inherently, anti-fatness is rooted in white supremacy and Mm -hmm. colonialism. Full stop. Again, we kind of talked about on this desirability within tattooing. There's... There's a look, there's a way that you have to look. And if you don't fit that look, you don't see yourself represented anywhere, even when you try. I really, a few years ago, wanted to start a Suicide Girls. And I was like, I want to start a fat Suicide Girls. And I messaged their Instagram, like, do you have any fat models? Again, no reply. No one ever replies when I ask are they fat people. (laughs) But I scrolled and scrolled and scrolled, not one fat tattooed person then i was like all right try the hashtag fat and tattooed really couldn't find a lot of fat tattooed people i was like am i gonna have to start my own fat tattooed page thankfully now there is a page fat and tattooed shout out so i was gonna ask isn't there a fat and tattooed page yeah there is now and i'm like awesome that like they did exactly what i wanted to do and it's a i think they're only been around like under a year so it's newer but I'm just glad it exists now because years ago I couldn't find anything. I think we're coming. We're getting there <laughs> slowly, but we just started. I had a situation the other day that like at my shop where, you know, I consider myself somebody that's always needing to learn. Like all of us are always constantly learning, but pretty like aware of like what is necessary to like create an environment that is like I don't believe in like safe spaces, but like accountable spaces, but yeah, but like an environment that is like welcoming and centering of marginalized people. I had a client who brought a friend and I was like offering them seating. Like, do you want to sit next to the thing and whatever? And they kept denying it. But the seating I was offering was like fold out chairs. Right. And then I was kind of like, okay. And then I was like offered, did you want to sit on this other tattoo bed? And they like looked at it. And we're like, no. And honestly, I've had a lot of like fat people look at the tattoo beds and go, is this going <laughs> like, to, it's going to, don't worry. <laughs> right. I've looked at tattoo beds that way. Uh, yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like, I, I get on there like a little fairy princess. I'm like, do you do the <laughs> one, like one leg? So you're kind of standing, but one leg is on. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, just like, <laughs> like maybe if I get on it like a feather, <laughs> yeah, right? Just, <laughs> if I slowly lay back, somehow I'll be lighter. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll trick it'll trick it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this person was like, again, no. And so the stencil was on. I started to tattoo, and then I like realized because I was like, why isn't why don't they want to? And then I was like, oh, I like, we have like a larger, not a larger chair, but we have like this beautiful, like black couch type chair, Mm -hmm. like one of those little accent chairs. 
part of our waiting area. And I just like picked it up and like brought it over next to the bed without saying anything. And she was like, thank you. And like finally sat down. And I was like, wow, I didn't even fucking think about that when I thought about seating for um, other than clients because of tattoo beds work. But I didn't think about just in general, like how accessible like seating in general was like these fucking yeah. little fold out chairs ain't doing shit for nobody. Yeah. We've gone through a bunch of fold out chairs as a matter of fact, in our shop <laughs> we've just bought, they have, we have the worst cheap ones and they've just folded like piece of paper. It's terrible. Tattoo stools. I had somebody that broke a tattoo stool while sitting down on it. And I'm like, what? Like that's wild. But these are like the little things like in tattooing that like, what are we thinking about now? Now there's like a body limit to who could be a client, who could be a tattooer, who could be a guest. Yeah. I think tattoo equipment really should start having like weight ratings on them so we can start making appropriate choices, but without, you know, any of the ratings or any of, there's not even choices. It's just, you kind of get this or nothing, honestly, right now. So that kind of goes into like, what are things that you do that also that we could do to start centering like fat bodies in our practices as like physical, tangible things around the shop or like in our practice as we are tattooing and drawing and things? I kind because I have a fat body and I'm on the larger side of fat, I can go around and test things and know what's comfortable and know what's going to fit most people. So I guess I kind of have an advantage in that sense when you're making flash don't just put the flash on a thin body you know put the flash on a fat example body same with on brown skin or whatever diversify your flash and and how you're representing it to people absolutely is something you can do and if you think you like oh fat people won't come to me well it kind of if you build it they will come situation you know like, if you want to tattoo fat people <laughs> yeah. genuinely, then show you're interested. Say, hey, look at this flash on this fat body. I'm interested in that. But if, if you're never showing any effort, then you're never going to be a part of it, you know? You have to put that out there for people to see. And it's as simple as that, I think. I think that part of, like, for people to diversify their portfolios, I think that if you have not done the work prior to, in the same ways in which we sit, I believe that if a artist only has white skin and light skin, like, the darkest is, me, is somebody like myself, then you offer discounted pricing and put it out there and say, hey, like, what is the incentive for people who are black or brown or fat or disabled or trans, you know? What is the incentive for these folks to come to you? How are they supposed to trust their bodies and uh, and a practice that is so deeply personal and intimate and permanent to come to you? So yeah, like offering discounted rates as you are building this portfolio, as you are, you know, essentially practicing on them. It's only going to benefit you financially to diversify your portfolio. Yes. That's something I talk about all the time. Why narrow your audience down so much? Even if you're just like a greedy capitalist, like just purely <laughs> thinking about money, it, wouldn't it make you more money to tattoo fat people, to tattoo queer people, to tattoo fat people? Like, wouldn't you want everyone's dollar? I agree. I find that wild. You're limiting your audience by a lot. Most mm-hmm. people are fat. <laughs> yeah. 
I always say that there's like these two worlds in tattooing. There's like the, the mainstream traditional, like not just traditional in art, but like just like the traditional tattooing tattoo bro. Uh, like, oh yeah. And then <laughs> and then we have this like other scene where it's like very queer, very alternative, very creatively alternative, very racially diverse, more inclusive actively trying to be anti-racist, actively trying to unlearn ableism, all the things like that world. And I feel like that world is doing, okay, we're like, we're figuring it out. And we're at least having those conversations. Yeah, we're, we're trying. And I feel like that's the first step. You just got to try because no one's going to be perfect. We have to learn from each other. And absolutely, we're getting there. Like, it's definitely not perfect and everything is nuanced and we all need to learn like you're saying like I have to constantly learn and learning is painful especially when it comes to these subjects but yeah I agree I think we're we're getting there hopefully (laughs) soon but then you know there's people actively out there trying to shut this down too so it's you got to work on it in multiple fronts not just on ourselves but then there's other people out there who want to who don't think that any of this is a problem. So there's a lot of work to do. There's always a lot of work to do. Did you have anything to plug in? Any Hmm. merch, your tattooing, your shop, anything? Your Instagram, are you a TikToker? I want to be, but but I already feel like I spend so much time on Instagram that I'm like, you can't do another thing. You can't obsess over another thing. You can't stress out about another thing. I'm not a TikToker, but you can follow me at Carrie Metzcap Russo. It's just my name. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about this. I really enjoyed our chat. I wanted to meet you. I've always been a big fan. I love your work. And thank you. I really appreciate it. I love your work. Thank you. That's it for today's episode, folks. Go ahead and follow at the Teardown Pod on all socials. Make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. The Teardown is hosted by me, Vegas Inc. This episode was edited and mixed by Ali Sirwa and produced in collaboration with Edit Audio. And I'll see y'all at our next session. <laughs>